The big story in California has been water, although it's been pointed out by many people that the 21st century is going to be the water century. Water is going to become as important to uh, this 100-year period as oil was to the last. And as you may have heard, things have gotten a little critical here in the state of California where we have no snowpack. And thanks to irresponsible political decisions, we don't have much water in the reservoirs either. Apparently, the year before last, we had reservoir levels uh, which were basically normal in spite of recent years of drought. But they made the decision to go ahead and make the water deliveries to farm and industrial interests. And in doing so, left us in a position where if this year was a drought year, we might be in trouble. Well, it was and we are. We know that some of you listening are not in California, but we think our problems here of uh, political interests controlling politicians and making bad decisions for their personal benefit and the general detriment of the public is a pretty universal phenomenon. So we think you can relate to what's happening here in the so-called Golden State of California. We do want to note with absolutely zero surprise on our part that uh, Jerry Brown and company is now having to admit that, uh, well, the so-called Bay Delta Conservation Plan that was going to restore all this habitat well, uh, maybe not. To quote from a piece by Michael Morose in Bloomberg Business, California Governor Jerry Brown said he will scale back plans for restoration in an ecologically sensitive delta to build two $15 billion water tunnels meant to guard against events like the record drought gripping the area. California will seek to restore only a third of the 100,000 acres it had proposed in the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta. It is alleged that Brown's earlier plan encountered opposition from federal environmental regulators, which prompted the revision. We suspect the local water interests had a little say in it, too. Oh, and there's also the fact that this whole idea of conserving the Delta was phony baloney greenwashing. Yeah, they're still going to send, yeah, they're still going to spend money on this project, but they're abandoning any pretense this is about ecological restoration, which at least is somewhat more honest. The piece quotes Barbara Barragan Paria, executive director of Restore the Delta, saying what we've been saying on this show for quite some time. She said, quote, you cannot have successful habitat or restore fisheries while draining the delta of its water. She said the $24.8 billion plan, quote, is now a naked tunnels-only water grab for the unsustainable mega farms, unquote. The Bloomberg piece notes that diverting water through the Delta has been one of the most contentious issues California has faced this century, pitting residents in the north, where most of the water comes from, against those in the south, where most residents live. An attempt by Brown to usher through a similar plan during his first time in office in the 70s and 80s ended in defeat. Yeah, in his 2013 State of the State address, Brown said the $25 billion project was, quote, designed to improve the ecology of the Delta with almost 100 square miles of habitat restoration, unquote. To which we say, ha! April 30th piece in the Sacramento Bee by David Siders and Philip Reese, titled Jerry Brown's Revised Water Tunnels Plan Adds Political Problems, notes that Senator Lois Walk, Democrat from Davis said Jerry Brown needs to forget the tunnels and move on. 
She said, today's announcement confirms what I feared in 2009. The commitment to co-equal goals in the Delta has been broken. The tunnels will move forward, and the commitment to the health of the Delta has been reduced in large part and relegated to a separate track. It was alleged they were going to spend $8 billion to restore 100,000 acres. Now they're planning to restore 30,000 acres, while apparently spending several hundred million dollars. Now, apparently, the federal EPA took a look at this uh, project and its 50-year permit and said that it uh, could violate the federal Clean Water Act and harm endangered fish. Well, yeah, when you take water out of the habitat, the fish generally don't like it. I love the quote from Jerry Brown on this. He said last Thursday that the original restoration plan was only an idea, adding, this is a step forward because it's a concrete action. It's real. It's happening in the real world. The other was more. It was a desire. And no, we don't know what the governor's smoking either. But Mr. McMillan suspects it must be some pretty good stuff. Yes, the real reason for this is that there's a fear that during an earthquake, there's going to be a catastrophic failure of levees in the delta, there's going to be saltwater intrusion, and the current system that lets water snake all the way down to the area near Tracy where there's pumping stations could get contaminated. They want to stick the straw up higher. They want to suck more water out of the system before it even gets the delta and ship it south. That's great if you're doing hydraulic fracking. That's great if you're taking the 20% of California's water to grow alfalfa, of which a third of which is simply wasted, just wasted. That's great if you're Wall Street and you're seeing so much money from pistachios and almonds and walnuts that they're expanding the groves down in the San Joaquin Valley during these years of drought, planting, yes, more trees. And you know where you really see the corruption in politics is when you know, someone's special interests are threatened. And in this case, the water special interests in California are bringing out the PR heavy guns. Sacramento Bee actually published a piece by the president of the California Farm Bureau, who titled it, It's Time for an Honest Discussion About Water. And in this so-called honest discussion proposed, it's mentioned that, well, the figures are all wrong. We don't use 80% of the water. We only use 40% of the water. They stretch it's for growing food and farm products. They don't talk too much about alfalfa in this piece. Another viewpoint piece by uh, the president of the California Chamber of Commerce and the State Building and Construction Trades Council of California big environmentalists for sure, were not surprisingly cheerleading for this effort to uh, build the tunnels. We think you get more intelligent comments from people who are not being paid by water interests, like this letter to the bee from a Nick Ferrari from Folsom. He wrote, regarding group has plans to avoid Folsom's Deadpool, page A1, May 3rd, if Sacramento Water Forum members freaked out last year when Folsom Lake approached dead pool levels, why on earth are the same cities that make up the Water Forum blindly going forward with massive expansion plans? The city of Folsom is charging ahead with a plan to develop thousands of new homes with 25,000 new residents in its recently annexed area south of Highway 50. Just where do our city managers and water officials think all the water for the development will come from? If our water resources are stretched to the limit now, just how much do they think their existing residents can conserve in order to serve thousands of new customers? It's time for our city officials to stop pretending the future will simply take care of itself. Well said, Mr. Ferrari. There seems to be no concept in California that the party's over, that we may be facing climate change, we probably are, 
We're going to have to live with less water in this state, and yet we're putting in more groves of trees, more racks of houses, and using ever more water to to inject into the ground from which to extract oil and gas. This is an opportunity to bring about some real political change in California if enough people wake up. But instead, I seem to see a lot of folks talking about how we're going to make things better by letting their lawn go brown. Let's get off the subject of water at this point and talk about a human story that may have some lessons attached to it. Apparently an 18-year-old Arizona man named D'Artagnan Driscoll, and that's the least of his problems, began a hike on the Pacific Crest Trail near the California-Mexico border on April 29th. But he discovered that the water sources in Southern California were dry, so he had his parents pick him up. Notes the piece in the Sacramento Bee by Richard Chang and Bill Lindelof. Driscoll, hoping the state's northern area had more water, got dropped off on May 2nd near Sonora. He expected to continue the journey to Canada on the Pacific Crest Trail. But he was well-equipped. He had a cell phone app to find supposedly water sources along the trail, but he discovered they had dried out. At least that's what the piece in the bee says. Article from News 10 reports that uh, sometimes he was stepping and falling into snow, coming up to his hip. Apparently lost, worried about his water, and only something like 12 hours into his hike, he decided to activate his handheld GPS tracker slash rescue device. After receiving a distress signal, the Alpine County Sheriff's Office called Valley Division Air Operations out of Auburn Municipal Airport to send out a helicopter. Within 35 minutes of flying, the chopper was able to locate D'Artagnan. He told the California Highway Patrol, I had about eight ounces of water left. If I wasn't dehydrated then... I would have been very soon. After the chopper picked up Driscoll and loaded him in and flew him down to Alpine County Airport, it was noted he did not require hospitalization. And no, we can't put this story together too well either. The Bee noted that uh, D'Artagnan has appeared in one independent film and he aspires to become an actor. Driscoll said he decided to hike the trail at the urgings of his father, saying it seemed like a fun experience. To my surprise, this trail was very rugged and difficult. Now, apparently these GPS trackers can be bought for under $200 and are probably a good backup if you find yourself out in the woods. But before you go out in the woods, you probably should know something about being out in the woods. There's two ways I see we can go with this story. One, to talk about how it is the youth of today need to be better oriented with the real world as opposed to the cyber world. And the other is to wonder about what overzealous parenting may have done to the youth of this nation. A former general manager of KDVS once told me that up to about the age 15, which would put us at about the change of the century, he wasn't sure he'd ever engaged in any activities that were unsupervised by adults. To someone in my demographic group, let's just call it over 50, this is highly disconcerting and causes me to reach for a clipping I've had sitting around since January of this year, which notes that on a recent Saturday afternoon, per Hannah Rosen writing in Slate.com, a 10-year-old Maryland boy named Rafi and his 6-year-old sister Devorah walked home by themselves from a playground about a mile from their suburban house. 
that was fine with their parents, who as members of the free-range parenting movement, believe in giving children independence so that they can gradually become self-reliant. Noted Hannah Rosen, in today's paranoid, hyperprotective America, we can all guess what happened next. A, quote, helpful, unquote, neighbor spotted the unaccompanied children and called the cops. Six patrol cars were sent to the family's house, and the natives were now under investigative by CPS for neglect. Said Petula Dvorak, writing in WashingtonPost.com, it's insanity. Not only are we placing unreasonable demands on parents to be with their kids 24-7, but we are stunting the natural development of independent humans. Also writing in the WashingtonPost.com, Lenore Skenazi said, we are having a hysterical moment in American society. By the way, Lenore Skenazi is the founder of the Free Range Kids movement. She notes that every week there's a news story about police or CPS arresting or investigative parents or investigating parents for letting their kids go unaccompanied to the park or a store. Yet crime statistics show that child abduction by, quote, strangers, unquote, is exceedingly rare and that kids are far, in far more danger of being abused, kidnapped, or killed by their parents than any stranger in the street. I mean, I've heard stories in recent years about helicopter parents, even here at UC Davis, parents that call up the dean's office to want to talk about how their kid's doing, which prompts the dean's office to have to tell them, your child is an adult. And I've noted from personal experience that uh, people of my generation who have students here at UC Davis routinely move their kids in and out. I can tell you this was very definitely not the norm a generation ago. And personally, I don't think it's a good sign. And, and while it's great that technology can allow you to be rescued if you're lost up in the woods, shouldn't your aspiring actor from Arizona be a little better prepared than to go out for half a day and then call in a chopper rescue? I'm a little stunned to realize that my generation of parents have been so damned meddlesome with their children. I know that as recently as the 60s, at least where I grew up in the Bay Area, it was the norm to go off unsupervised, play for the entire day, sometimes miles from any adults. Nobody I know came to any grief on account of it. Let's take a moment to detour into the area of why it's good to get away from it all. I had lunch with a classmate of mine from medical school last week during which time she expressed the notion that uh, the modern concept of always being available on a smartphone is something she found disconcerting. I think anyone who's ever been stuck (laughs) during medical training with a beeper going off 24-7 tends to have a rather jaundiced view of uh, always being in contact with everybody on a cell phone. Let's revisit a piece I may have made uh, reference to In a previous program or two, it's from an August 6, 2005 perspective from New Scientist magazine explaining why it is a walk in the woods can do great things from your body. It's a piece by Joan Maloof. And in the article, Ms. Maloof talks about uh, what it's like to go into a forest and just breathe deeply. She notes, when I did so, I had forgotten the air. Americans ignore this dimension of a forest's allure. The Japanese recognize it and have a name for it. We talked about this on the show a few weeks ago. Shinrin-yoko, wood air bathing, literally translated. Japanese researchers have discovered that when diabetic patients walk through the forest, their blood sugar drops to healthier levels. 
Researchers are here in California found 120 chemical compounds in the mountain forest air, but could identify only 70 of them. It's more than possible that the things you breathe in a forest could be good for you, in addition to just, you know, being away from it all out in the trees in the shade. And another piece from New Scientist, in this case from five years ago, article by Nora Schutz about nurturing nature. To quote from the piece by Nora Schutz, the idea that close contact with nature is the passport to good mental and physical health certainly runs deep, finding expression in the poetry of William Wordsworth and the hippie movement of the 60s. The theme has recently been taken up by author Richard Loeb with his best-selling book, Last Child in the Woods, in which he warns that complaints like obesity, depression, and asthma are on the rise due to our children's divorce from nature. Nora Schutz asked, where's the evidence? Said that, well, carefully controlled research from the last few years suggests that these romantic ideals hold some truth. Studies of thousands of people reveal that natural surroundings really do have a significant impact on our well-being. Now, why nature is so good for us remains a uh, subject of debate. Some psychologists at the University of Michigan put it down to the fact that nature offers us soft fascinations like moving clouds, dancing flames, rustling leaves, or gurgling water that restore our concentration by allowing our attention to wander. Built environments, by contrast, constantly require us to focus on specific tasks such as navigating our way through traffic or reading street signs. The same applies when we watch TV or play computer games. At any rate, when they crunch the numbers on uh, proximity to green areas and various diseases, it seems pretty clear that people do better when they're around a bit of nature. A sidebar piece notes that children with ADHD concentrated better after a walk in a park, and they did about as well as if they'd taken standard medications. Hello? Researchers at the University of Illinois did note that walking through quiet and pleasant areas of town with less greenery didn't offer the same benefits. Researcher Andrea Faber-Taylor said she had a strong feeling that time spent in natural surroundings might at the very least supplement current therapies for treating ADHD. It might even work as a standalone treatment for children with very mild symptoms. Gee, imagine having a kid take a walk in the woods instead of giving him Ritalin. So, we're back to walking out in the woods is good, but, you know, as the Boy Scouts might say, be prepared. I mean, be prepared well enough to where calling in a chopper to rescue you will be something that will be the action of last resort. Now, personally, I think you should sometimes push the envelope a little bit and take a chance on stuff. As we've said before in this program, and we'll say again, good judgment comes from experience. And experience, of course comes from bad judgment. I note that in a somewhat D'Artagnan, Driscoll-like fashion, this correspondent once found himself about 18,000 feet up in the Andes at night, freezing his tuchus off. And that episode does remind me of Mark Twain's statement that a man who tries to carry a cat home with a tail will learn a lesson he can learn in no other way. So I guess the punchline to all this discussion is, you know, doggone it, Take a chance on stuff once in a while, folks, but, but, but be prepared and don't expect a high-tech rescue, okay? And I guess, that, I guess that summarizes it. All right, I think we're in need of a break. I'm, I'm feeling a little thirsty, so let's take one. <laughs> I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. We've got plenty more in our third segment, so uh, don't go anywhere. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Younger, so much younger than today. 
Healthy if you can 